Hello and welcome to another unexciting episode of the Hashtag Pistons Podcast. I am Joe, I am your host. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Truck, and you can read me of course on Hashtag Basketball at Piston Powered, Palace of Pistons, and my own site, truckthoughts.com. With me today, once again, is Koo Cahill. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Koo. What's going on, everybody? It's Koo here. You can find me uh, at Fist and Powered. You can find me at Joe's site, Truck Thoughts. And you can also find me on YouTube at Koo's Ballroom. And also on Twitter at Koo Cahill NBA. I always forget one thing. <laughs> I always forget one. Oh, and just because I remembered it for a moment, because I always forget. If you don't subscribe to the podcast, you should 100% do that wherever you listen to it, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Pinecast, um, Spotify, we're pretty much everywhere, so wherever you like to listen to your podcast, make sure you subscribe. So, we're not going to we're not going to dick around at all. We don't even we didn't even bother to make an outline. Um, we're just going to dive straight into this game that just happened. We're recording this at like 11:20 p.m. um October 23, so the game just got done in like what, 2 hours ago or so. Not even 1 hour ago about um, Pistons win in overtime, 133 to 132 over the Philadelphia 76ers. Blake Griffin, I'm just going to read the stat line real quick. Cool. Blake Griffin, 44 minutes, 50 points. You want to know how many shot equivalents he got those 50 points on? 40. 14 rebounds, six assists, one turnover. 44 minutes. Including the game winner, a three-point play, and one. Um, a couple other stat lines before we start to get Kuzsaw on it. Um, Reggie Jackson also played a solid game, 39 minutes, 23 points on, um, what is that, 17 shot equivalents. Also had three rebounds, three assists. Ish Smith was big off the bench once again in 33 minutes, 21 points. He only had three assists as well. Um, Hit a couple of really big shots. Reggie Bullock, although he did struggle defensively a little bit, which I'm sure we'll talk about, um, finished with a solid line, 17 points on 15 shot equivalents. Um, Stanley Johnson was not very good. (laughs) Andre Drummond, I'm sure we'll talk about him plenty, but 14 points, 16 rebounds, 2 assists. Um, Inefficient scoring, though. And he also got ejected from the game for his two technical fouls, which, once again, I'm sure we'll talk about that. And then other guys off the bench, not a whole lot. Um, Langs Galloway played 25 minutes, only 4 points. Luke Kennard got 11 minutes, which was nice to see him get on the floor at least, but only 11 minutes, only scored 2 points. Zaza Pachulia did not do a lot, certainly not in the box score. Uh, 17 minutes, only 2 points, 6 rebounds, but there is one in particular, one stat in there for Zaza, one steal, which of course came at a pretty important moment of the game. And I'm sure we'll touch on that later, too. So those are your sort of general stat lines. Um, for the Sixers, important guys are Joel Embiid, 20, 33 points on 27 shot equivalents. Um, J.J. Redick also had a huge game, scored 30 points on only um, on only 24 shot equivalents. So um, those are the big ones. Also worth noting that even though he only scored 13 points, Markel Fultz did look really good in this game for the Sixers, which is of course yeah, I was gonna uh, say he did look yeah, pretty good. which is a big storyline. This is a little bit of a sidetrack, I suppose, before starting to talk about everything else in the game. But um, you know, who knows if Fultz will ever really figure it out or not? But I think a lot of people forgot last year. Just like there's a reason that dude was pretty much the consensus number one pick heading into the draft last year. He is. He's a great prospect. He's a freak athlete. He's really skilled. 
Um, he had a, I think it was on Reggie Block. He had a chase down block in this game, and it's just like it, it's the moments like that where you go, oh, this dude is a freak, you know. And so I I hope that I, I'm not obviously um, I'm not a big fan of the Sixers as a whole for all sorts of reasons, but I do hope that Markel Fultz figures it out because. When you looked at his game in college, you looked at this dude and he was like, it was just like, this dude could be a really fun player in the NBA. So I, I do hope he figures it out. So that's enough of all that. Koo, I'm going to let you start us off. Just just give us give us your, just some basic opening thoughts on this game tonight, and then we'll just, we'll go wherever the conversation takes us. All right, so I'm going to start low. I'm going to stay calm for just a second. So like Joe said, Danny Johnson did not play very well today, sadly. It's that would be that would be a little bit well. that would be a little bit of an understatement to say he didn't play he well. Played pretty, he played poorly. Nineteen minutes, zero points, over five, two personal fouls. He did have three assists, so he did have more of some stat than he did fouls. But no, it was a it was a poor night for Stanley Johnson. It was a it was a poor night for him. Andre Drummond. I'll save him a little bit more for later. Reddy Jackson continues to play well off the ball, playing with uh, Blake Griffin. And Reddy Jackson and the Ishmael tandem continues to play really well together. I think a lot of us Pistons fans are liking what we're seeing from there. And Ishmael came in and continued. I even said, I believe it was like a portion in the third quarter or the fourth quarter when Blake sat down for two minutes. I tweeted and was like, Ishmael's going to be our only source of offense here because while Blake says or Ish struggles, we are going to see uh, we're going to see the game get blown open. But that's me staying calm. Blake Griffin just put on one of the greatest performances I have ever witnessed in a Pistons uniform. And if you want me to be completely honest, he put on one of the best performances I've ever seen, just in general, in person. Not watching no highlights. Or like going back and looking up a game and watching it on YouTube or something. Like why me watching the game? This was one of the best performances I've ever seen. This man, not only did he hit, not only did he score fifty points on twenty of thirty five shooting with fourteen rebounds, five of ten from three, with what was it one turnover all game? Yeah. With how much he he had the ball in his hands, this man hit. Clutch shot after clutch shot after clutch shot after clutch shot. Everything the 76ers did, it was like, just give the ball to Blake, and he is going to answer it. He is going to keep the Pistons afloat. I said this a couple days ago, but Blake Griffin is walking around with the Gucci duffel in his hand, and it has every single one of the Pistons players in there. (laughs) He is walking around and has everybody in that bag. It's Smith and Reddy Jack are peeking, trying to get a little air out of it, but everybody is completely in that bag. And when when Blake hit that and one at the end of the game, this chair in my room went across my room. <laughs> I was going insane. I hurt my hand. My house <laughs> probably woke up. Everybody on this street. And I could go on. I can, like right now, as we're doing the podcast, I'm still like moving around. I I can I can't stay still. This was an insane performance, and what's even better about it is it was on national TV. Yeah. So everybody got to see Blake do this, and now we have a bunch of people like, oh, I saw a tweet earlier that said, oh, this the, the thing is, 
this is even who Blake usually plays. Like this is what this is what we're gonna see from Blake now, and that's that just lets you know that people like haven't kept up with Blake because this is more of who he's been for a while now. He's not gonna be soaring through the air and 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 putting Timothy Mosgov on Mars again. It's not. It's, I mean, it's not gonna keep doing that. This is just who he who of who he is more of now. And it, it, again, this is just this was a crazy crazy performance. I mean, yeah, and one of the things that you touched on that, and I know that we've talked about it on the pod, I brought it up a whole bunch um, on Twitter and a couple different pieces that I've written, etc. But, um, you know, people, you would have almost, if you paid attention last year after the Pistons traded for him and then this offseason, you would think that Blake Griffin's middle name was actually... Um, or that the front, like his full name, so before his name, it would be the rapidly declining Blake Griffin. Like, you would think that was just his full name. And the numbers never really bared that out. Um, even the last three years where he's where he's been hurt and such, when he's played, I'm not going to bring it up again, but I, it's something like he's put up something like 22 points, 6.5 assists, and 6.5 rebounds per game on good efficiency, which is a really high mark. And so it's just kind of like, even though, yeah, he has had injury problems, and even now as we're sitting here, you know, just in awe of how good he's played, it is important to remember that injuries are still a significant worry here. There is no denying that. But when the dude is healthy, he is the real deal. And people who suggested otherwise just, they it's just, honestly, it's just kind of lazy. I hate to just call like that's a significant I mean I kind of hate to do that because you know everybody thinks that oh well my team is just misunderstood everyone just doesn't pay close enough attention to my team but and so you know there's obviously some things that a lot of us hold about our favorite team and players on our favorite team that we are willing to admit is like well it's a little bit of a homer thing like certainly I would say uh the way I feel about Andre Drummond, probably the way both of us, especially you, feel about Stanley Johnson, for instance, we'd be willing to admit, yeah, we're kind of homers about that. But the Blake Griffin stuff, it's like every single number you look at with the guy, when he's healthy, he is still very much so the real deal. And it's funny because, like you said, he's not going to be putting Timothy Mozgov on another planet anymore. And that is true. And people make a big deal out of that. Oh, well, he's not as good of an athlete. And it's like, Think just for a moment, okay, and we're going to take LeBron James out of the conversation because LeBron James is literally a different creature. He's not even human. How many guys, when they are, you know, when they come to the league as these just absolute utter freak athletes like Blake was, how many of them are still doing that sort of stuff when they're 28 and 29? Just most of them, most guys, you just, as you get closer to 30, you don't, you just, you lose some of your bounce. That's just, that's what happens. But that doesn't mean that Blake's not going to be a phenomenal player. I actually tweeted it out, so if you want to look at this, you can go check out my Twitter. But I took a screenshot of... Well, you retweeted it, I think, too, Koo, so you saw this. But I tweeted a screenshot of the bucket, the game-winning bucket. Or that was game time, the free oh, throw yeah. that followed. Like, the angle he's at, he's up in the air, and he's, like, almost perpendicular with the ground. And this dude still managed to finish it. And it's like... Yeah, maybe he's not quite as bouncy as he once was, but like this dude is still an absolute freak athlete. He's still and obviously he's just a phenomenal basketball player. 
And that really is, he's just, it's just sort of the, it's the perception that he got early on as being just a dunker, when that was never really a fair perception, and it was, you know, it went from, well, that's not really a fair way to characterize him when he was younger, to that over the past five, six years, it's like, okay, if you actually think that you're just stupid and not paying attention. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I kind of hate to be the, oh, they don't understand my team guy. But I honestly think that if you were one of these people who was out here saying Blake Griffin is just, he's not a good player anymore, he doesn't fit the modern NBA, this, that, and the other thing. Um, if your complaints with, basically, if your complaint with Blake Griffin is anything other than he gets hurt too much so I don't trust him, which is a fair criticism of him. And, you know, you can also talk about his defense because his defense certainly is lacking at times. But if you're if it's anything other than that, I just I think it, you're just being lazy and you you're just going with the hot takes. You're not actually paying attention because it does not take very long to look at it and go, you know, actually, when this dude's on the floor, he's as good as he's ever been. So here's one thing, because I think me and you have both mostly held this opinion. Um, there's a decent number of Pistons fans who have. But Actually, basically, real quick, Joe, can I tell, say this? Oh real yeah, quick? sure. Go ahead. Speaking, speaking on what you just said, this this goes along right with it. Vince Ellis of the Free Press literally just tweeted about ten minutes ago. I just now saw it, and I wanted to make sure I said. Oh, I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, he asked Blake. I don't know if it was him or someone else asked him after the game, but they asked him whether tonight was the first step in regaining league-wide respect. Blake Griffin, mind you, everybody, this is like Blake Griffin said this. The past two or three years, all I hear is how bad I am. I've been hurt. I've had bad games. This summer, being able to work out for the first time in three summers is huge. And even Vince Allen, like, after tweeting it, he quoted it and was like, the past two or three years, all I hear is how bad I am. Blake Griffin. Like, how, how insane. Like, it's just like, it's crazy that people are so, like, I think the word you use, lazy, is like the perfect word for it. Because there's no other way around it. You're just lazy if you think this. And it's crazy because even Blake Griffin hears it, so it just shows how many people are this lazy with, with this kind of narrative. And I, I'm just like extreme. I'm, that's why I say I'm so happy you have it on national television because you know that, like, I'm not going to say anything, but Joe knows that there's certain people that want to make <laughs> comments about certain Pistons players oh, yeah. after watching just a couple games. So, you know, this happens to be one of those games that those people will watch. So I'm happy that he able he was able to do this in one of those games, one of the two or three games they will watch. So maybe now the narrative will change. But, yeah, just that whole tweet right there and that whole quote from Blake is just insane to me. Well, yeah, and, you know, I actually thought you were going to say something else from Vince. So just to tack on to this, okay, so um, me and you, have, I definitely have. I think you mostly have been of this opinion. There's a few other people, um, in particular one of the guys is uh, Laz from um, Detroit Bad Boys, is that, you know, if Blake stays healthy this year, he could be a borderline MVP candidate, and he's probably going to be one of the best players to ever wear a Pistons uniform. Um, Uh You know, obviously there's like, you know, there's an argument between best player and greatest players, obviously, so... And unless he wins a chip, he'd never be greater than Isaiah Thomas, obviously. But just in terms of, in a Pistons uniform, how good are you, right? And so there was a thing, here, let me bring it up a second, because I want to make sure you get it right. Okay, there are a couple of them who tweeted this out. So, Blake Griffin, through the first three games of this season, has scored 109 points. Where do you think that ranks in Pistons history for, through the first three games? 
First. First. No one in Pistons history has ever scored that many points. Here's his stat line through the first three games of the season. And obviously, small sample size. There's some mirages in here. He's not going to shoot that well from three all season, obviously. But still, playing 37 and a half minutes per game, 36.3 points, 8.3, 30, 11.3 rebounds, 5.7 assists, 0.7 turnovers. And, That's the craziest one of all. True shooting percentage of 62.4%. Like, <laughs> what on earth? Earth. The dude has been like, I saw a couple people tweet it, and I think I think it's like, no doubt. I think at this point in the season, obviously, once again, it's only three games. So let's not act like, let's not get too out of hand. But no, there's no doubt in my mind that he is 100 percent the MVP front runner right now. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm, I'll, I'll go with that. Well, I think honestly, I think that it is so early that I'm not even going to talk about whether he's an MVP front runner or anything right now. Like, I actually, it's truthfully, it's way too early to do that. Um, but he's, I think he's going to have a good chance to win Player of the Week, don't you? Well, didn't uh, Player of the I think he should win Player of the Week, but didn't they just, like, uh, last week, didn't they just have one? Oh. So, wouldn't, like, two of his games? Yeah, I guess that's actually, for, that actually would be right, probably. Yeah, so two of his games would go under that last week. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. a good point. Well, if... <laughs> If he'd played this game last week, he would be. But, and the main thing in here that's obviously a mirage, he's not going to shoot 61% from three all season. We know this for a fact. But, the thing to remember is that he shot, like, what, 34.4% last year, I think. And there's a decent chance. I think a lot of people, just in general, sort of underestimated or underestimate the amount that Blake Griffin has shown that he will is willing and able to just work his way into being able to do things. Um, the biggest example to me is his free throw shooting, where his when he came into the league, he was like a 50% free throw shooter. And last year, he was almost at 80%, I think, or something like that. Uh, when he came into the league, he couldn't shoot, like, at all. And so last year was the first year he shot three-pointers. He hit like 34.4% on pretty high volume. A lot of those are tough pull-up looks. When you look at his synergy, it actually says he's a pretty good spot-up shooter, above-average spot-up shooter. And basically it suggests that if you look at the trend from a lot of his other skills, because every single one of his skills, and this is honestly, this is one of the reasons why I, through all of this, have remained optimistic about Blake Griffin, is that basically you look at his history, and for what it's worth, this is also one of the reasons why I've um, mostly been a believer in Andre Drummond, although we'll talk about him tonight in a little bit, is that you look at his history, and you can see that he just, this dude just improves. He clearly puts uh-huh. in the work in the offseason, and Blake Griffin in particular clearly keeps himself Maybe in great shape. After the game, to uh, one of the reporters for the, for, uh, the 76ers that, he doesn't want to engage in high, high per, ah, hypo, ah, I can't even say that word. Hyperbole. Yes, that. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> no problem. But, uh, he said he didn't want to engage in it, but Blake Griffin is honestly the hardest working guy he's ever played with and that he's seen through his years with the Clippers, how hard he works and how he tries to master his craft. And that is, it makes complete sense why it's uh, coming to fruition now for him. 
Well, yeah. And so basically, though, um, one of my thought processes is that people, you know, people say I'm the main thing is that it's like, okay, if he stays healthy, he's still just as good as he's ever been. All of the numbers bear that out. Every everything you can see bears it out. But it's like people say, well, he's not this. He's not that. He how will he fit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there are some legitimate concerns there. But I look at it and it's like, you know, if I'm going to pay a bazillion dollars to a dude who's I'd rather give it to a guy who's proven that he's willing to work his tail off to improve his game and to fit himself into the best role for the team, et cetera, et cetera. And he's clearly shown that he can do that. So I'm not saying he's going to be vastly improved as a three-point shooter. He may well end up right about 34% again. He could even end up worse. But simply put, even though obviously 61% isn't happening, it's not uh, totally unrealistic that, like, he could shoot, like, 38% on high volume, which, given the... And the point to that, if you guys want to go see some in-depth things I wrote about that, go ahead and check out my article. Oh, this yeah. About Blake Griffin's three. Yeah. I actually went in-depth about that. What's the title of that? Like so that people can, ago, what's the title of that piece so people can find it easily? Um, Blake, uh, can Blake Griffin become an above-average three-point shooter? Okay. Um, I can try and, when I tweet this out, I'll try and find that, and I can link to it also. Yep. So, yeah, go read that because it's a really good piece by Koo. And, you know, so obviously 61% is not happening, but he could become, it would not shock me, just because when you look at all the other aspects of his game, it's not unrealistic that Blake Griffin could be a really solid three-point shooter this year. And that would be huge for them. So just, there's no other way to put it. Blake Griffin has been absolutely phenomenal. And I do still worry a little bit. I think we're not going to talk about this too much tonight. We'll talk about some bigger picture stuff um, tomorrow on the next pod. But I am still a little bit worried about um, long-term, like over the course of the season, how this is going to work out because he's carrying a pretty heavy load right now and, you know, various reasons. But we'll talk about that later. But all my worries aside, he's playing absolutely incredible. And I truthfully think that he probably is the best player to put on a Pistons uniform since at least Grant Hill. Probably. Um, maybe Chauncey Billups. But honestly, I'd say Blake Griffin is probably better than Chauncey Billups. Yes. And so just, he's just absolutely incredible. And honestly, I hope that he won't keep up this pace. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to score 36 per game. He's not going to lead the league in scoring because even though he scored a bunch of points the first few games of the season, at his core, Blake Griffin is not actually a scorer first. He's a, he's a passer first who happens to be so good that he's also a, he's also scores a bunch of points. There's an extent to which, Honestly, he's almost like LeBron James in that extent, where LeBron James' primary mode isn't actually just, I'm going to score a bazillion points every night. His primary mode is actually sort of a slash and kick kind of guy. He's just so comically good that he scores a ton of points anyways. So Blake Griffin is not going to score this much all season, but he is... It's, I actually think that he could, not not this much, but I think he could see an uptick in his scoring from years past because of how the Pistons... Like, the Pistons... Uh, hopefully this changes throughout the season, but the Pistons literally look lost when he's not on the floor, and if, and we're not scoring at all if it's not going through him. Yeah. So like I think he could see an uptick, but obviously, yeah, it's not going to continue like this. Yeah, I mean I could see an uptick. Like I'm pretty sure his career high, the last few years he's been right about 22. 
His career high is 24 per game, I think. I could bring that up a sec, actually. Um, and I could see him getting back up to, like, there, 24-25. But I'm basically saying he's not going to he's not gonna score 30 points per game. He's just... Yeah. I don't think he... I just don't think he's that kind of a player that is going to that's gonna do that. Here, let me bring this up a sec. So, yeah, the last few years... So his career high is 24.1 per game, and that was all the way back in 2013-2014. So for the last four years, he's averaged just over 21 points per game. So I could see an uptick from that up to, you know, 23-24. But, yeah, basic point, he's not going to be a 30-point-per-game score. But just I think that he absolutely is capable of being um, an absolutely elite offensive player. I think that's what he is. And it's great. Like you said, it's great that he did this on national television so that so many people who surely have doubted him will be able to look at him and go, okay, no, this dude is for real. And I hope he gets healthy so that he's not a punchline anymore, you know, then. Uh And I, there's an extent to which it was a similar thing last year with Andre's free throws, where you just feel good for a guy for about something. And, if Blake Griffin can keep up that sort of level play, not what he's at right now because that's unrealistic, but if he can keep up a really high level of play this season and stay healthy, uh, it would be just, it would be phenomenal for everyone. Just It'd just be fun. And also just especially to just stick it to people. I mean, like you said in the Vince Ellis tweet, he's like, all I've just had to listen for the last several years about how bad I am and stuff. And it's like, it's it's just absurd. So yeah, Blake Griffin, phenomenal. There are some concerns about how he can keep that up over the course of the whole season, but for now, utterly phenomenal. Um, let's talk about a couple other games and the things in this game before we wrap up because we're actually we're already at twenty six minutes, but we'll go a little over thirty. I think. I think we should attack Andre. Yeah. Okay. You you give your thoughts on Andre because I'm but... I'm curious what you think about it. Okay. I'm I'm gonna try because this is another thing I could get like really heated about, but. I'm gonna try to like stay calm. Andre, at like he has stretches so far this season. Specifically, last game, no, specifically the the first half of our opener, and then stretches here in this game, where I'm just questioning like what the hell's going through his mind. Like there was this one point, I believe it was in the fourth quarter. It was like a two point game. He drove in, thought he got fouled, fell to the ground. And literally, while everybody else was running back on defense and while going on five and four, he's literally just sitting on the ground looking at the ref with his hands up. And it resulted in a score or some free throws. I know they got some points out of it. It was either free throws they scored. They scored. But the, Reggie yeah. Jackson, I, I'm pretty sure he just fouled Embiid. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, he just sat there. And that's completely and utterly unacceptable, especially if you want to do that in the first quarter okay, it's still unacceptable, but okay, we that's it's not as critical as the time that we were in. It was the fourth quarter, late in the game, and it's a close game, and like it's a simple mistake either way could cost the game for either team. And that right there is just insane. I even tweeted that if, if Embiid wasn't on the other team and Andre was basically the only person who could guard him, I would have sat him on the bench. He wouldn't have played the rest of the game after something like that. That's just insane. But while I'm saying this, let me just point this out, and I'm sure Joe would love to hear me do this because Joe, I think, is the biggest fan of Andre that I know. This was, I think, I would say a terrible game for Andre, 
let me tell you what this what a terrible game for Andre Drummond was. Fourteen points, sixteen rebounds, two assists, three steals, two blocks, and he was a plus four when he was on the court. This is a terrible game for Andre, for in my opinion. And it he was. did stuff like that. Well, so, I mean, like, just to say that, and like you said, I'm I'm as big of an Andre Drummond fan as there is. Um, the big thing in those numbers are that, so he scored 14 points. He shot 6 of yeah. 20 from the field. He also took 4 free throws. So he scored 14 points on 22 shot equivalents, which is, that is legitimately terrible. So yeah. that is one thing. Keep going, though. Yeah, so I'll even get to that. He he was he was chucking up terrible shots going to the rim. You can The sad thing about this is, as I thought, besides the stretch in the first half when Zaza was starting Embiid, I thought the Pistons were doing a pretty good job trying to handle Embiid. Andre, I thought they were doing a decent job at it, too. And you could see, like, every time they, these two go against each other, you can see it's obviously at least an Andre said. I think you can clearly see it's an Embiid's head because he likes to get all with all these antics or anything. But Well, you know, but, with, with the Andre versus Embiid thing, I think... The the key for Andre going forward has got to be that he's almost like he's almost got to channel his inner Aaron Baines and just say because here's a fact okay and anyone who wants to argue me with me about this come at me seriously all right Andre Drummond defends Joel Embiid as tough and as well as literally anybody alive if I had to pick one person in the NBA to defend Joel Embiid in an important moment, I would pick Andre Drummond. That is not a joke. And I mean, like, there was, there was one play in this game where Embiid kind of got around him, he got up a shot, and Drummond just got right back up. He almost left his feet on the pump fake. But because Andre Drummond's such a freak, he gets right back up so fast, and he just blocked him when, on, when Embiid went for a dunk. He forces him into turnovers like Joel Embiid, hates Andre Drummond defending him. Like, you have to realize that. That's one of the reasons he goes at him so hard on and says, oh, he doesn't really play much defense or anything like that. You know, because he knows Andre Drummond is like one of maybe a handful of guys in the NBA who has the right combination of strength, size, and quickness to actually tangle with him. And the key for Andre in the future against Embiid is, once again, channels Aaron Baines and say, look, Joel Embiid is awesome. There is, I, we're, we're, I'm sure we're going to talk plenty of crap about him here. But Joel Embiid is awesome. He's going to get you sometimes. Like he's going to get around you. He's going to hit some tough shots over you. Like there is one Embiid hit, or Drummond was right in his feet, face, like right in his grill. I mean, he almost he almost did the thing where after Embiid let go, hit, Drummond hit his hand. That's how close he was, and he just uh-huh. drained it right in his grill. It's just like. <laughs> What are you supposed to do? Like, Joel Embiid is going to get you for some points. There's no way around that. And Andre has got to just go, you know what? That doesn't matter. I'm playing him tough. I know I'm playing him tough. This is as good as anyone defends him. And then he needs to stick to his game. Um, like that, you said, that was the he, point. he because Andre gets in his head. And for what it's worth, I do like this, that Andre's, because Andre does have a tendency to take things personal with some dudes. Like, um, one of the reasons he gives it to Carl Anthony Towns so much is that he likes to go at Carl Anthony Towns. Um, there was actually, there was a, I forget what program it was with. I should probably remember that. Sorry to whoever it is that did it. I can't plug you, but there was a thing where him and Stanley Johnson were on some show and they asked questions of each other. 
And one of the questions was, who's one player that you really like to go at? You know, that you have something extra for. And Stanley Johnson answered about Andre. It's got to be Cat. You know, like, I like that about Andre, that he sometimes gets a little bit extra for some guys. But, and so, but the problem is that one of the things he tries to do is he tries to do too much in those situations. It's like, specifically on offense. Yeah. And it's like, okay, Andre. And once again, I'm a huge Andre fan. I'm in favor of him trying to attack the basket more when he has the ball instead of flinging up terrible jump hooks and such. I like him putting the ball on the floor, going to the hoop, et cetera, et cetera. But you have to just recognize, my man, that's not your game. I want you to do it some. I want you to do it more. I love that he was willing to attack Joel Embiid on offense. But chillax a little bit and be willing to say, all right, guess what? Embiid's going to put up bigger numbers because he gets the ball all the time, especially without Ben Simmons in the game. He is their offense, basically, other than J.J. Redick, which, ugh, um, <laughs> that went poorly yeah. for the Pistons. But you just have to be able to, he's got to be able to say, once again, just channel your inner Aaron Baines because, like, Aaron Baines, and Embiid's dunked on him a bunch of times. Embiid made a joke on Twitter, man, Bun's only in the NBA to get dunked on. But guess what? Playoffs came around. Guess who kicked Joel Embiid's ass? Aaron Baines and Al Horford. And you know why they did that? They just kept doing it, and they said, yeah, he's going to dunk on us a few times. He's going to hit some tough shots over us. He's going to clown. He's going to talk shit. He's going to do the whole kick and caboodle. And guess what? We're just going to keep playing our game. We're going to keep playing him tough, and we're going to beat him. And that's exactly what happened in that playoff series, is that, guess what? Joel Embiid is not good enough to tango with guys for over the course of an entire game like that. He just can't hold up. And Andre's just got to do that. He's got to just recognize, I'm playing this dude as tough as anybody. He's going to get me a few times. I'm not going to let that get him in my head on defense. I'm not going to force the issue on offense. He's going to put up numbers. He's going to put up volume. He's going to talk crap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I got to play my game. And guess what? If I do that, we're going to win because Joel Embiid's going to try and do too much trying to prove something over me. Like, and that's just, that's how it is. And that's really, so... Basically, what I'm saying is, a lot of people have really gone at Andre Drummond for this game. And one thing, obviously, we have to mention, it is an absolute travesty that he got ejected. Like, there oh, is, yeah, that was just... Uh, I mean, I am one of the last people, at least with basketball, who is going to blame things on the refs, like the outcome of a game. Now, the Pistons did win, of course, so... Be, just because of the fact that in basketball there are so many possessions, every possession is a scoring opportunity, that the reality is refs do not actually impact basketball as much as they can other sports. Because in other sports there's so limited scoring opportunities. You know, it's like if it's a football game, there's you're only going to have, what, you know, four or five really good chances to actually score a touchdown. And so if you if the ref blows one of those with a bad call, that actually hugely changes the course of the game. If the ref blows a possession in basketball, guess what? There's like 98 more of them in the game. But that was, oh my goodness, what an absolute joke. And Joel Embiid, what a freaking clown, literally just flops gratuitously, stands up, get him out of here, get him out of here. It is literally, it is basketball karma that they lost yeah, that, that game. That's, why I, that's exactly why I said uh, just an absolute, on Twitter. Just an I honestly... Last year, and it wasn't just the fact that he kind of went back and forth with Andre Drummond. Honestly, when he tweeted out, Man Bun's just about Aaron Baines. Man Bun is just in the NBA to get dunked on. That's actually when I was like, you know what? 
I think Joel Embiid isn't actually just kind of a funny troll on the internet. I think Joel Embiid is actually just kind of an idiot and an asshole. Like, that was honestly when I was like, you know what? I've actually changed my mind on this. And uh-huh. because the reality was, it's like, hey, guess what, Joel? Man Bun whooped you in a playoff series. Like, really whooped you. And it's like, so why are you talking crap about him? And so it's just, I don't know. It's just <laughs> to flop like that and then get up and talk crap about it. That's just utterly absurd. And that's just that's like the word for it is just weak. It's yeah, it's weak as hell. Exactly. Because you didn't even touch him, and then you get up and just like talk, start talking as if you did, and like you did something when everybody on the court knew you did it, and everyone's gonna find out after the game from replays that you did it. And I hope he gets fined. When he gets fined, I think that will be the funniest and the greatest thing ever. Oh yeah, because for sure. it was just weak. It's it's petty. It's weak as hell. And if I I I wish one of the piston players. Because the thing that really pissed me off about it was he started looking at fans, talking about some, get them out of here, get them out of here. If I was a Piston player, Joe Embiid, as soon as he missed that shot at the end, started walking towards the exit, I would have made sure to walk past him with, like, trolling what the hell he was doing before the game. Like, I would have made sure to make sure he knew what just happened and that karma is a bitch. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, the great... The greatest thing about all of this is so Zaza Pachulia comes in the game after Andre fouls out, of course. In the first half, when Zaza Pachulia guarded Joel Embiid, it went about how you'd figured. Jo- he fouled- Zaza fouled him four straight times, basically, didn't he? Like, literally. He was just like, Zaza was like, I can't guard this dude. What am I supposed to do? I'm just going to foul the crap out of him because that's what Zaza Pachulia does. And then in overtime, in the. F- at, literally at the opening, so Zaza Pachulia has four fouls, and on the opening tip of overtime, he gets his fifth. Zaza Pachulia is on five fouls, and Joel Embiid would not go at him. He just he he had no interest. He had he wanted nothing to do with Zaza Pachulia. And then uh-huh. at the end of overtime, he finally tried to, and he freaking turned the ball over. Zaza Pachulia. Shut down Joel Embiid in overtime, and that is the greatest thing. Truthfully, here you want to. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. So before we started recording this, I had begun work on something that I'm going to finish after we're done recording this, and it is a compilation of him repeatedly not going at Zaza Pachulia, <laughs> and I'm going to title it "Joel Embiid is Afraid of Zaza Pachulia." And I'm going to tweet that at Joel Embiid every single day for the rest of the season because he deserves it. Because karma's a bitch. That's what you get for flopping. I mean, and the greatest thing is that, like, Zaza is the one guy in the NBA who's going to flop just as shamelessly yeah. as Joel Embiid did there. So it's just, it just, it is perfect that it's like, so he goes at Andre Drummond, he gets Andre Drummond ejected with a terrible flop, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then Zaza freaking Pachulia comes in the game with five fouls, and he doesn't go at him. That's just... Yeah, I thought it was... At some point, I got to put a little bit on... I mean, I have to put some of it on the coach. I was completely shocked, because with Andre out, and Zaza what, had, what, four or five fouls? He had five fouls like, for all of overtime. Yeah, yeah. like, if, if you attack him and he fouls, like, what did the Pistons do? They put Blake at five and then Stanley at four? Yeah. Like... Like you put them at a disadvantage. I would have. I was completely. I thought they were gonna go straight at that matchup as soon as OT started and try to get him either one fouled out 
or two, just let Embiid cook. And I was I, like, I was completely shocked it didn't happen that way. Uh, yeah, it's just that was utterly baffling to me. And but to be honest, I don't care if it was the coach's decision. I'm going to pin it on Joel Embiid being a coward. <laughs> I don't care. Like, that's what's going to happen. And I'm going to, every time he tweets, I'm going to put that in his mentions just to make sure that he sees it. Because I just, it, it's too perfect, man. Zaza Pachulia's 36. He can't jump over a phone box like or a phone book. Like, he's so slow. Freaking D'Angelo Russell was going around him the other night. I think me or you could get around Zaza Pachulia. That's how slow that dude is now. And that's fine. He's old. He had a good. He's had a good NBA career. <laughs> like, uh-huh. and then crunch time. Joel Embiid would not go after Zaza Pachulia, who had five fouls, and that just makes me so happy, to be honest. And yeah. I mean, when when Andre fouled out of the game, and it became, and they showed the replay, I was like, wow, they just, he didn't foul out. He got ejected because he had two technicals. It was just like utter flop. I tweeted out at the time. If there are basketball gods and they are just, the Pistons are going to win this game. So, at the end of the night, there are basketball gods and they do have at least some shred of justice in them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, basically, though, overall, with the Andre Embiid thing, I think some people overstate it because they understate just how effective Andre Drummond is at defending Joel Embiid. Because, and how many of his points did he score when Andre wasn't guarding him? So, like, That's exactly what I was he got, like, of eight of those. He, he literally got, like, ten of them with Zaza guarding him earlier in the game. Because I think he had one dunk, and then he literally got fouled four other times. And then there were a couple other times they got switched on to other people. And so I, I'm not going to bother to go back and, like, chart it. Maybe someone else will. But just, I think people need to understand that that is a, Andre does need to do a better job of not pushing things too far on offense. There is no denying that. I'm not I'm not defending Andre to that point. I'm not saying he played a good game. But people need to I think do a little bit of a better job of understanding that Andre Drummond had an incredibly difficult defensive assignment and he did an awesome job of it. And uh-huh. if he's not out there working his tail off, playing disciplined like he didn't bite for a single pump fake on Joel Embiid the yes, entire night. Um, he forced him into a couple of turnovers, et cetera, et cetera. He did a really good job, and I think people need to give him more credit for that because people are just going to look at the final stat line and go, well, Joel Embiid scored what? He scored 33 points, 33. right? Well, he scored 33 points. It was a pretty efficient 33 points. So clearly Joel Embiid had a really good game. And, and he also had wow, I didn't even realize that. Joel Embiid had seven assists. That's crazy. He's not usually that good of a passer. Okay, Joel, I'm sorry. You have to stop right now. Some crazy things just happened. What? So Joel Embiid was interviewed after the game, and he said, quote-unquote, I feel like I have some real so – I, I feel like I own a lot of real estate in his head. Andre just tweeted back at him a minute ago and said, LOL, does he? If that's so, he wouldn't be so excited to have me off the floor. Think about it. That's a silly statement. I'll take the W, though. Enjoy the flight home. Emmy Award-winning actor. Nice. See, like, there's some people that don't like that. I love that about Andre. Like, I love the fact that he has not backed down from any of this at all. And once again, he's tried to do too much on offense. I'm not denying that. I'm not saying he played a good game tonight. But I think more people just need to give at least some thought to the fact that Andre Joel Embiid is one of the toughest covers in basketball. 
And the Pistons have one of, I what, maybe four or five guys in the entire NBA who you can put on an island against him and say, we're not going to double-team this dude at all the entire game. Because they don't. They don't send any help to Andre when he's guarding Joel Embiid. There's basically no one else in the NBA who does that, who goes up against Joel Embiid and says, I'm taking you one-on-one. That's what's going to happen. I mean, there's an extent to which I I, I, I make an effort. You actually agree with this, too, that the trying to compare Andre Drummond to um, Ben Wallace is dumb for various reasons. But uh-huh. there's an extent to which it's like Ben Wallace versus Shaq in the 2004 finals, right? Where, yeah, Shaq put up big numbers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you have to understand, Ben Wallace was getting no double teams. Like, he stood in there, and he was going one-on-one with Shaq, and he didn't let Shaq kill them single-handedly. And Andre Drummond is not Ben Wallace, and Joel Embiid is not Shaquille O'Neal, obviously. But it's that same sort of a deal where it's like, I think more people should give, you know, once again, Andre did not have a good game in this game. But before you pile on the dude too hard, give that some thought. And that that's that plays a big factor into a lot of the other guys on the on the on the Sixers other than JJ Redick not really having particularly notable games. And just that is a real blessing for the Pistons to be able to have one of those dudes you can just stick one on one on Joel Embiid and he's not gonna get roasted every single time. So yeah, we've talked a lot about him. Um yeah. Andre so. just retweeted uh, Michael Baffleport saying Literally, the biggest guy in the league is out here flopping. Hashtag Joel Embiid. Hashtag flop a lot records. Yes. And it's a video of uh, Joel Embiid of the little flopping play. That's perfect, man. It. That's per- I hope they pile onto him because, I mean, honestly. I really hope he gets fined. That's, that's insane what he did. Well, yeah, it was. Um, so, yeah, we've talked about that a bunch. Um, there's a few other things to talk about in this game. Um, one of the big ones is the play of both Reggie Jackson and Ishmith. Both guys played really good games, I thought. Um, and, I mean, I'm still a little bit unsure of how the Reggie Jackson-Ishmith pairing will work long-term, just because they're not very clean fits, and defensively I'm not sure about it. But the early returns are good, and I guess here's the biggest thing that I am in favor of with it. And one of the things that, for what it's worth, right, we all know I'm not a huge fan of Dwayne Casey as his as a coach. This is something that he's done so far that I really like about him is that, you know, so a lot of people have spent so much time talking about, well, the NBA, oh, you got to go small. You got to do this. You got to do that. What the whole, like, with the Golden State Warriors or any other team going small, quote unquote, what really is important is more teams need to be willing to just say, we're not going to worry about positions. We're not going to worry about this, that, or the other thing. We're going to get our best five guys on the floor. And that's what's important. And clearly, Dwayne Casey's decided Ishmith is one of his best five guys. And, I mean, that's not insane, is it? I mean... I definitely feel like he's played like it so far. Clearly, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, and Reggie Jackson are your top three players. Reggie Bullock is pretty clearly your best wing player. And then, I mean, unless Stanley Johnson finds some offense... Unless um, I Luke Kennard could maybe if he continue if he develops, um, we didn't even get to see J- Glenn Robinson play in this game, but there's a pretty strong argument for that. Ish Smith is he's their he's their fifth best player, 
And so there's an extent to which Dwayne Casey's just saying, screw it, this guy's my fifth best player. That's I'm going to play him. And, you know, screw it. I don't care that he's not a great fit with some of the other guys necessarily or any of his flaws, etc. Now, one thing that's worth mentioning here, all right, is Smith went two of three from three in this game. I think he's shooting like 44% or something from three so far this year, which that probably won't hold up. But even if it falls down to like 34 or 35%, him being willing to take and at least occasionally hit three-pointers is huge for this team. Just absolutely huge. Oh, he's over 50% on the season. He's at 54.5% through the first three games. Yeah. But that is, that is huge for them. Um, guys don't, teams are less likely to just totally ignore him off the ball. Guys don't duck quite as far under screens against him. Um, but so just, I don't know. I felt like both those guys really played a good game and I really, and this is one of the best signs for the Pistons in the early going is that, um, other than the shenanigans in, that was the first game of the season against the Nets, right? At the end of the game. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's when that was. Um, other than this, yeah, you talking about by Reddy Jackson? Yeah, other than <laughs> other than that buffoonery, he has really been playing well, and he seems to have a pretty good grasp of what his role in the offense is. He seems to have uh-huh. a pretty good grasp of what the dynamic between him and Blake Griffin should be, um, and he looks pretty comfortable. And here, let me bring up what are his? He even came up. Uh, I know we talked about it a couple times ago about how. I'm sure, like the little late game situations, there will be a point that some butting of the heads may happen. But like even today, I mean, it looked like that he was okay with what was going on with Blake, and when they needed him, he hit a couple oh, yeah. shots in the OT and fourth quarter. Like it was cool because it was like, oh, everyone's looking at Blake. They forget that Reddy Jackson, who's also yeah. a pretty good folder, is like standing right over there, and he's capable of doing. Oh look, there's a layup. Oh look, there's another three. Oh look, I like. I, it was really good seeing that we had two people on the team capable of taking the ball and doing something with it down the line. Yeah, well, so through the first three games of the season, which, once again, obviously small sample size here, but so playing 34 minutes per game, 20 points per game on the dot, um, and 4.3 assists, true shooting percentage of 60%, which that'll drop down, I'm sure. He's never been even close to that efficient in his career, but... He really looks comfortable. And once again, just to give credit where credit is due and just to show people that for all the complaining and unsureness I have about Dwayne Casey, there are definitely benefits that he brings. And one of the things that you know with him as your head coach, one thing, um, the players are going to like them and they're going to play hard for him, which through the first three games, more or less, that's been true. Um, Andre's had a couple of moments of lapses, but for the most part, he's played hard. The other thing, guys know their role, and guys are going to execute it more often than not. Like, you won't have nearly as many times where it's just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, where there's definitely been times under Stan Van Gundy where it's appeared that some guys are a little bit unsure of what their role in the offense is. That's something that's not, even though Dwayne Casey's offenses will have have plenty of issues, Guys are going to know what their roles are, and Dwayne Casey is very good at getting guys to buy into that sort of thing. And it looks like, you know, once again, obviously this is everything that we're saying here comes with a huge asterisk of it's only three games, so it could all change. But 
the early signs are good that Reggie Jackson, that Dwayne Casey may have gotten Reggie Jackson to sort of buy into what his role on this offense will be. And it seems to be working pretty well because he's playing really well. And the best news, though, is that he legitimately, he looks healthy. And there's one play in particular in this game that really stood out. I think it was sort of midway through the fourth quarter or towards the end of the fourth quarter. He got the ball on the outside three-point line sort of just about at the break. And he was being guarded by Robert Covington. And he sort of stood there for a second. And then he faked one way and went the other way. And he just completely left Robert Covington in the dust and went in and laid it in. And Robert Covington is a pretty freaking good defender. So if Reggie Jackson is able to just straight up fake out and get around Robert Covington, and he did it one other time in that game too with a no, crossover. Yeah, I was just about to say, there was one time, like, I'm surprised he didn't bring this one up. This one, it looked like he left him completely oh, in yeah. his shoes, like so, going a completely different way. But and B blocked him at the rim, but the move yeah. was... Like, even the crowd, the crowd was like, oh, like, it was yeah. crazy what he did. So just like, no, the one you were talking about there, and B blocked him, he finished the one that I thought of. That's probably why I thought of it first. But the yeah, fact yeah. that there were two different instances in this game where he straight up, he dusted Robert Covington. Once again, Robert Covington was first team all defense last year. Like, yeah, this, dude really isn't, this dude isn't a scrub. This dude isn't just, yeah, he's a pretty good defender. This dude is a great defensive player. And Reggie Jackson straight up dusted him on two different occasions in this game. That is the sort of guy that the Pistons will need out of him. They need Reggie Jackson. With, uh, yeah, go ahead. I think with the Ish Smith, I think with the Ish Smith and him on the same, on the court at the same time, along with having Blake carry more of the load offensively, it's definitely going to help him. And I think you can see it's helping him now that he doesn't have, doesn't have to one carry as much as a, of a load, and two, hopefully throughout the season that helps him stay healthy and more fresh because um, I don't want I don't want to bring this like I don't want to take too much from it but Duncan Duncan Smith he made like a little article during the summer about how it looked like maybe Reddy Jackson was wearing off after like uh, like maybe the first like month and a half of the season before he got hurt maybe if he was starting to wear off and this is something we should get used to whether you believe that or not having Blake Griffin and Ish Smith out there that are capable of having the ball in their hands and letting Reggie play off ball is definitely going to keep him more fresh and hopefully will keep him healthy for a longer duration of the season. And he looks like he's achieving in that role, and he's definitely shooting the ball better than I think we've seen him in a piston uniform. Well, yeah. Where he ends up being as a three-point shooter is going to be interesting because as a piston, he's been a pretty decent shooter, but he has the ball in his hands so much that a lot of his shots are tough pull-up looks. But once again, if you look at his synergy, he's been a really solid spot-up guy. So through the first three games, he's shooting 40% from the th- from three, which I'd be surprised if he stayed that high. But with him getting more spot-up looks, I wouldn't be shocked if he shot like 37 or 38%. And if he can do that, they could really make it work. And yeah, so I'm still a little bit skeptical about Jackson and Smith playing together for such long stretches. Um, but the early returns are good, and there's definitely there's definitely a logic to it, I guess. So basically what I'm saying is that there are some decisions that have been made early in the season that I go, you know, there's really, even if it's sort of worked a little bit in the early going, there's not really any logic to continuing this. Basically, what Joe is saying that even though he's been so hard on Dwayne Casey, he's let us all know for a long time about <clears> it. He has to give him credit 
where credit's due, and it's hurting him just to come out and say that's, it straight up. That's not at all what I'm get saying. Around the bush. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. I, I've give, I've done some credit where credit's due. This isn't even a Dwayne Casey thing. This is just a lineups thing where I'm. There is good logic to just putting Jackson. In. Like there are some things. So like I truthfully think. Having Andre Drummond sit as far back on pick-and-roll coverage. Now, fortunately, the Sixers run so few pick-and-rolls that this wasn't a big issue in this game. Um, last season, the Sixers ran fewer pick-and-rolls than any other team in basketball. They didn't run that many tonight, which was probably a good thing for the Pistons. But I think that their pick-and-roll coverage is bad. I think there is no logic to having Andre Drummond sit so far back into the paint as they've had him doing, okay? This is not one of those things where I'm unsure of it, long-term, but there's definitely a logic to it, and it could work. So it's just, that's going to be a big thing to watch going forward because if it continues to work as well as it has in the first few games here, that could be really game-changing for the Pistons as a team. If it gets less effective and teams get smarter about attacking it on defense, um, and then also probably the bigger thing, Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith start to not shoot so well from deep, um, obviously, Ishmith is shooting over 50%. Ishmith is at 54% from three. Reggie Jackson at 40% from three. That's probably not going to keep up. <laughs> so we'll see how it lasts long term. But from what I've seen so far, not just in the numbers, I guess that's the other thing is that it's not just as simple as, well, the numbers look good because they're shooting really well. There is definitely a dynamic that I like about it. I think sort of keeping them both making it so that neither guy has to go long stretches as the only facilitator on the floor, I think helps keep both guys fresh, helps keep both guys effective, and they're both killers attacking, like, off the ball. When they get the ball and get a chance to drive, they just slaughter people. So I do like some of the dynamics with it. I'm a little unsure about it long term, but it's certainly intriguing in the early going. And well, before... Uh... Before we get close to getting out of here, before this happens, I just want to make sure that this is said. Joe, once again, like I said, a noted Casey, I won't say a hater, but disbeliever in some of the things he does, a lot of the things he does. Casey did have a couple out-of-bounds plays he drew up, Joe, that were pretty good. They, they looked pretty good. They had one on the side, the baseline for Reggie Bullock coming around the corner. Okay, hold up a second. Hold up a second. Hold up a second, okay? We'll talk about the final play in a second, and that can be the last thing we talk about. Don't you be saying that that Reggie Bullock play was something. They literally set a single screen for him and had a freaking special K called that while they were lining up. That was not some special. Hey, no. Sometimes simple is better. Okay, having a single out-of-bounds play generate an open long two, that doesn't qualify for anything. Every coach does that occasionally. Okay, with the last play of the game, okay, you see... All right, here's what I'm trying to say, all right? Here, I'm going to just... You know what? We're going to go for a little bit. Here's my spiel on it, okay? Is that Dwayne Casey's not a bad coach. I do not believe that. I think Dwayne Casey's a good coach. And just like we talk about this with Andre Drummond, we talk about with Blake Griffin... There's too many people who they tend to focus on instead of saying they focus too much on what guys are not without recognizing that there's no such thing as a perfect basketball player. 
Like, LeBron James and Kevin Durant are probably about as close as you can come to just being an absolutely perfect all-around player. But even there, I mean, LeBron James, is his jumper is inconsistent. He doesn't play hard on defense anymore. Um, Kevin Durant can get too ISO-heavy, not pass enough, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Like, so, you know, just with Blake Griffin, yeah, he's got flaws. But don't act like there's no player who has flaws. No matter what coach the Pistons would have hired, there would be flaws with them. My thing with Casey is that I feel like it just wasn't... I feel like he wasn't the greatest fit with this roster, basically. And I still... There's an extent to which I still think that. But I hope that no one came away from me being skeptical of Dwayne Casey as a coach. I hope that no one came away from that thinking that I'm saying Dwayne Casey has no good points... He's going to be just a total disaster. He's not going to do anything right. Like I said, okay, they're going to play hard every night because the guys like him. That has been the case of every player that has played for this dude. Everyone likes him. They're going to play hard. They're going to buy into what he's selling, all right? That is a real positive. That's worth something. That is not nothing. And you kind of see it in this game, or really, honestly, in the first three games, but especially in this game, all right? So... One of the main complaints people would have about Stan Van Gundy was that on offense, it was too strict, too rigid. He didn't let the guys, quote, just go out and play, right? And there is some truth to that. That's not an unfair criticism of Stan Van Gundy. Dwayne Casey is, like, in that sort of philosophy, basically the opposite. He has basically no offensive system. And there is an extent to which that can benefit guys like Blake Griffin, where you're willing to just put the ball in Blake Griffin's hand. And so on the last play of the game, um, I now he was a little bit coy about it because he got, I actually it was Vince who asked him about it in the post-game press conference, but um, he was a little bit coy about it and said, well, if I tell you that, then I'm also telling all the other teams we're not going to talk about it, you know. But basically he did say we put the ball in Blake Griffin's hands and we let him make a play, right? So, that was not necessarily drawn up as, Blake, you're going to fake this pass to... It was Reggie Bullock coming off that, right? I'm pretty sure. So it's not like they... I don't think they set it up as, all right, we're going to pass it in, and Blake, you're going to fake this pass, and then you're going to go to the hole and score easily. Um, I think they set it up as, we're going to toss ball into Blake. Reggie, you're going to dart up, because the Blake, the Blake-Reggie the Blake pick and roll... Reggie Bullock, of course is really good, the two-man game that they have together. They have great chemistry. It's really effective. It was really effective last year. Basically, I said, we're going to put it into this situation and Blake make a play, basically. And you know what? There's definitely an extent to which that can benefit, especially when you have a guy as good as Blake Griffin. And even when I've complained about Dwayne Casey, I've always maintained that if the Pistons stay healthy, they have enough talent that they're probably going to be really good regardless of who their coach is. And if they can stay healthy all season, there's a decent chance that Dwayne Casey ends up being really good because he has a way of getting guys to buy in. He has a way of getting, of you know, because he is willing to just sort of let a guy like Blake Griffin, we're not going to overwork you, we're not going to overthink this. Blake Griffin, go be awesome. And all you really need out of it is to have a coach who's going to get Blake Griffin to fully buy in and play his tail off every night and get Reggie Jackson to fully buy in 
and accept that he's going to be off the ball more and still play his tail off and get Andre Drummond to accept that he's just going to rebound. He's going to not be a primary option in the offense, and he's still going to play his tail off, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if they stay healthy, that can work out. But my worry is that, and you brought this up earlier, when Blake Griffin is on the floor, this team has no offense at all. And that's kind of my worry because it's like, guess what? History says Blake Griffin is going to break down if you tax him like this. Lord knows, here, knock on wood. I hope he doesn't. But you kind of, if that happens and Blake Griffin misses 10 games, they might lose every single one of them because there is no backup plan behind Blake Griffin. Go be great. And that is one of my main worries is that I felt like there's enough shooting on this team and enough passing on this team that if they'd gotten a guy who was more um, more offensively creative, that they could build the sort of offense that would be able to take good advantage of Blake, but could also survive without him, basically. And I think that Dwayne Casey has basically no chance of doing that, and that's one of my biggest worries. But basically, the point of all this, okay, Dwayne Casey is a good coach. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. I'm not saying he brings nothing to the table. And it is not painful for me to say that he's doing good things with some stuff. I hope that I hope that people don't get that impression that I'm like, ugh, I cannot believe this, you know? So, yeah, and, I mean, but I'm not, sorry, Koo, I'm not, I'm not taking an L on the Reggie Bullock out-of-bounds play. That was, that was, a, that was as basic as it comes. But All on right, the last play of the game, on the last play of the game, that's good. I'm all in favor of that. He said, and this is, once again, this is one of the strengths he has. He has a way of saying, all right, identifying what you do best and just saying, just do that. And <laughs> there's value in that. And he just said, all right, Blake Griffin's awesome. Andre Drummond's not on the floor, so we can't have Reggie Jackson run a pick and roll with him. So clearly we're going to put the ball in Blake's hands and we're going to have him, we're going to set him up in a two-man game with Reggie Bullock because that's our best offensive option. And that's what they did, and it freaking worked. So, you know, I'm not going to say that it's some... Because I don't think that he designed the play for Blake to fake it or anything like that. But there is value in him just being able to say, we're just going to put it in the best situation and let our guys make a play. So, that's good. Um, and we'll talk about some larger picture stuff with Casey and other players as well on the next pod. So, any sort of last thoughts about this game tonight before we wrap up? Because we are at... Um, long. We're at over an hour. Oh my gosh, we're over an hour, Koo. <laughs> well, hey, good content. Yeah, so any last thoughts on the game tonight? There's one last question for you. Just a quick okay. question. Don't want to make it last another 30 minutes. Just a last question. After two games, very small sample size, is it time for me and you to start, well, mostly me, is it time for us to be a little bit panicky about Stanley Johnson? Um, I mean, I think any hope that was there that he was going to make some great offensive leap, yeah, probably, because, especially because of the fact that everyone in the organization, whether it be his teammates, Andre Drummond on Twitter, saying that he's better than um, Jalen Brown, um, whether it be Mm -hmm. Dwayne Casey, whether it be the front office guys, whether it be Tom Gores himself, they all talked up Stanley Johnson a lot this offseason. 
So I think if they felt like he had it in him to take on a really big offensive role, I feel like that would have happened in the early going. And it's not so it's not just that he hasn't shot well. It's that if they felt like he could do more than he's done in the first two games, I really feel like he would have done it because they talked him up so much this offseason. But one thing that's worth noting, so the Pistons played in their opening game, they played the Nets, Stanley Johnson didn't play. Then they played the Bulls, then tonight they played the Sixers. Stanley Johnson's biggest benefit, and in particular with this team, is that he is their big wing defender. And guess what? There's a lot of elite big wing players in this in this league. And the Pistons have no one else on this roster who's going to stand any sort of a chance against them. So, like, I think if if Ben Simmons plays tonight, guess what? We're pretty thankful that we have Stanley Johnson on our team to defend him, right? But Ben Simmons didn't. And obviously the Bulls don't have... I Zach Levine gave, us, gave him some trouble, but that's not really Stanley Johnson's wheelhouse um you know so they played the they played the Sixers tonight their next game they play against the Celtics so if Ben Simmons had played tonight then in their next game I who knows which one of the Celtics wings they'll have Stanley Johnson defend but in you know as they start to get more of those guys who are the guys that Stanley Johnson thrives against you'll start to be more thankful that Stanley Johnson is on this roster because if it wasn't for him, the Pistons would have no one to defend those guys. Like, you know, when when whichever one of the Celtics wings comes to town, they just slaughter you. When Giannis Antetokounmpo plays the Pistons, he just you just have no chance against them. But when you have a guy like Stanley Johnson on the roster, he gives you a chance. And, you know, just attack... I'm already letting this go a while, which that's not what you wanted, but just a thought on Blake Griffin, okay? This is just something to... Just some happy thoughts for Pistons fans to finish off the podcast, right? When you think about Blake Griffin, think about the past three years even, just the past three years. Blake Griffin is one of the guys that, when the Pistons would play them, we'd just be like, we have no one to defend this guy, he's going to kill us. And guess what? He killed them. Every time. Like, because of the fact that the Pistons, they just did not have a good power forward defensively. Just, they haven't had one on the roster. And when Blake Griffin came to town, he slaughtered the Pistons every time. And we all knew that it was coming. And guess what? The Pistons have that guy now. When the Pistons come to town, other teams go, we've got no one who can freaking defend this guy. For the first three games of the season, the opposing teams have had no answer for him at all. They've just had to throw up their hands and go, Hope he starts missing at some point. <laughs> so it's just that's just a good thing. That's just a nice thing to think about. That the Pistons have one of those guys, and you know that's honestly I think for us and for a lot of other people who are fans of Blake Griff- of the Blake Griffin trade, that's the whole point of Blake Griffin. That the Pistons have one of those guys. That there are nights where he simply is not able to be stopped. So. Yeah, and I think if you swap out Blake Griffin for Tobias Harris, the Pistons are at least one and two right now, maybe zero and three. So yeah, any oh, other so last like thoughts? Fifty point. That's a fifty point loss. Yeah. So yeah, any other thoughts on tonight, Koo? Uh, nope, not really. Uh, other than the fact that uh, I still believe in Stanley. I still believe in Stanley too. I still believe in Stanley too. Um, 
I think, you know, I, it's two games, so I don't care. It's not a good sign that he shot really poorly, obviously, but that's something that you need more of a sample size than just two games, especially since he only played 19 minutes in this one. So basically, yeah, probably not going to make the Jimmy Butler offensive leap that some people thought he might, but also when the Pistons start to run into more of the sort of elite wing offensive players in this league, you'll everyone will be a lot more thankful that Stanley Johnson's on the roster. So, yeah, um, that's going to be all for tonight. We <laughs> were over an hour, which that was not the intention coming in, but hey, it's a big game. Um, yeah, sorry we missed the last couple of days. I was really tired and basically just skipped out because I'm lazy. So, yeah, stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons.